Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer. And this is the Battle of Ahankip and the life of the rebel king, A. O'Connor. This show looks at one of the key turning points in the history of the west of Ireland in the medieval period. The Battle of Ahankip in 1270. Fought along the banks of the upper reaches of the Shannon River, the origins of this conflict was borne out in the resentment and disillusionment felt by a generation of Gaelic Irish people who watched their society destroyed by the Norman invasion of Ireland. Chief among this generation in the west of Ireland was A. O'Connor. His deeds and actions came to represent those of an entire generation, so much so that the backstory to the Battle of Ahankip is one and the same as the life story of A. O'Connor. When A. O'Connor the King of Connacht in 1270 received the ominous news that a large Norman army was making its way west to confront him. He had two choices. He could round up his family's vast but easily transported wealth, their cattle herds, and drive them to safety, or he could stay and fight. This must have been a difficult choice. Not only was the Norman Lord of Connacht, Walter de Burgh, on the way, but he was also supported by Richard of Exeter, the deputy just this year, as well as major Norman landowners from the west of Ireland, men such as the intriguingly named knight Richard of the Wood. This was a serious force. However, A had fought the Normans all his life, and to back down now was accepting their superiority, something he was loath to do. In many ways, A's life had been building up to a confrontation like this. For decades, he had been a thorn in the side of the Norman colonists in Ireland, not only in Connacht, but as we shall see, in Ulster as well. In 1270, A decided he would raise an army and meet this Norman force head-on. This conflict would be the culmination of a life that A had spent fighting to restore his family's shrinking power. His decision to stay and fight what would become the Battle of Ahankip was not made on the spot, but instead was rooted deep in his life experience and indeed the experience of many Gaelic Irish people. 
of his generation. A. O'Connor was born into the ruling family of Connacht in the west of Ireland around 1224. Indeed, his grandfather, Cahal Crowderg, was the reigning king at the time. The early 13th century was a difficult time to rule a Gaelic kingdom, particularly Connacht. Since the Anglo-Normans had invaded Ireland in the 1160s, they had conquered most of the island outside Ulster and Connacht. However, from around the year 1200, it was clear that Connacht was next up on the Norman chopping block. Indeed, the entire region had already been granted to the Norman de Burgh family. All they were waiting for was the final go-ahead from the King of England, which was being temporarily withheld. Now, A's grandfather, Cahill, had proven himself a shrewd and adept operator in this situation of imminent disaster. He had become a vassal of the Norman king himself and, into the bargain, gained the king's protection, hoping this would stave off any invasion. Cahill had even gone as far as to adopt Norman customs. He only ever had one wife, something which was pretty unusual for a Gaelic king. When A was only one year of age, however, Connacht was plunged into turmoil when his grandfather Cahill died. This spelled disaster for his family, as Cahill Crowderg's death triggered an internal power struggle between various branches of the O'Connor family, each vying for the kingship. Eventually, it was A's father, Phelim, who emerged victorious in 1230, but Connacht had been substantially weakened by the conflict, and it was at this moment of weakness they faced a full Norman invasion led by William de Burgh, which, after a few false starts, got going properly in 1235. Growing up through this invasion must have heavily shaped the young A. When it was over, his family, and indeed his father Phelim's power, was seriously diminished. By 1237, Phelim was left in control of only five of the thirty baronies of Connacht, the rest having been seized by de Burgh and other Norman families. Now, if you want to hear the full story behind this invasion of Connacht, check out the podcast, The Norman Conquest of Connacht. Faced with massively diminishing power, we might expect Phelim to fight, but as we shall see next, he fell back on his life experience and what he had seen work for his father. Through his life, Phelim O'Connor had watched his father Cahill ingratiate himself with the Normans, and this had benefited the O'Connors, as the Norman invasion of Connacht had been staved off until after Cahill's death. From the late 1230s, Phelim adopted a relatively similar strategy and tried to accommodate himself into the Norman system. He accepted a vassal status under the King of England, and indeed, he even appears to have also rejected the Gaelic traditions of his forefathers. He wasn't inaugurated as king, in accordance with Gaelic traditions, like previous O'Connor kings, at their royal site of Carn Free in Roscommon. Phelim turned his back on these traditions. The world was changing, and he changed with it, or so he thought. Indeed, Phelim seemed to have developed a strong relationship with King Henry III in England. In 1240, he had visited Henry in person, while in 1245, 
he had brought an army of 3,000 soldiers to fight for the king in Wales. It was only by the mid-1240s that Phelan's son, A. O'Connor, was coming of age. He analysed the predicaments facing the O'Connors very differently from his father, observing what was happening around him. Despite all Phelan's efforts to appease the Normans and their king, it wasn't saving the O'Connors. Since the conquest of Connacht in the 1230s, their territories had only continued to diminish. When, in the final years of the 1240s, A began to emerge as an increasingly powerful figure in his own right in Connacht, it was clear he rejected the policies of attempted appeasement. In 1249, he organised a raid by a troop of mounted young men on Peter de Birmingham, a Norman lord who had arrived in Connacht that year under orders from Henry III to take possession of the lands of the recently deceased Lord of Connacht. Whether his father Phelim had any involvement in this attack is uncertain, but regardless, he still paid the price for his son's actions. The O'Connor lands, centred around Roscommon in North Connacht, were temporarily confiscated by the Norman king Henry III, and when they were returned the following year, 1250, they had been denuded even further. Initially, at least, it seemed that A and his generation's policy of aggression toward the Normans was no more effective than the older generation's policy of appeasement. However, A was undeterred. Perhaps the lesson he drew was that he needed help, and in 1253 he began building allies among the only people he knew would be willing to fight the Anglo-Normans, that being other Gaelic families. So that year, he made peace with Brian O'Neill, the Gaelic king of Western Ulster, who would once have been a traditional enemy of the O'Connors. During all these machinations, it's not clear what the relationship between A and his father Phelim were, but A was clearly the driving force in what was an increasingly aggressive O'Connor policy toward the Normans, and Phelim was mentioned less and less. Whatever the story was, it was clear that Phelim had little say over his son's actions, and in 1258, when A joined other like-minded Gaelic-Irish leaders, Tygo O'Brien of Thomond and Brian O'Neill at Caelishka on the Erne River, he set in train a series of events that would lead to open hostilities with the Normans. Overlooking the River Erne, A. O'Connor and Tygo O'Brien acknowledged and inaugurated Brian O'Neill as High King of Ireland, the first time anyone had made such a claim since the invasion of 1169. This was a clear break with the Normans. They were clearly not vassals of the King of England if they submitted to Brian. As High King, Brian O'Neill, supported by A. O'Connor, was now a challenge to Anglo-Norman rule in Ireland, but the Alliance did not step into the field militarily until 1260. Indeed, before A would support his new High King, he continued the process of seeking allies who were not of the Anglo-Norman world. In 1259, he gained a slightly ironic nickname, Ain and Owl, which means A of the Foreigners, when he formed a pact with Maxorley, a lord of the Isles of Scotland. He married Maxorley's daughter and she brought him a dowry of 160 gallow glasses, which were Scottish warriors. The following year, he needed these warriors when Brian O'Neill called his supporters for his first major challenge on the Anglo-Normans. 
Before we find out what happens, I want to take a quick break. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The first test of A's new alliance led by Brian O'Neill was a campaign to expand the influence of the O'Neills in Ulster. Brian O'Neill's ancestors had conquered all of Ulster before pressing their rights any further. However, for Brian O'Neill, he had a small problem. Eastern Ulster was now firmly Anglo-Norman territory, and while there was no Earl in Ulster since the death of Hugh de Lacey in 1242, the settlers there would mount ferocious resistance to any incursions. Regardless, though, in 1260, Brian called on A. O'Connor to support an attack on Ulster, a call which A. willingly responded to. In May, the Joint Army invaded colonial territory. The colonists, in response, pulled together an army not only of Anglo-Normans, but also Gaelic-Irish families, many of which were happy to oppose the new rising power of the Gaelic world in Brian and A. The outcome was decisive. On May the 14th, 1260, A. O'Connor and Brian O'Neill were decisively defeated at the Battle of Down. While A. survived the defeat, it was a severe blow to his dreams and hopes of driving the Normans back, although it was a worse blow to Brian O'Neill. He was killed and decapitated and his head sent to Henry III in England. A. O'Connor was now left without his powerful ally. Worse still, the Anglo-Normans would have their vengeance. In 1261, Henry III appointed Walter de Burgh, the Lord of Connacht, the new Earl of Ulster, and the following year de Burgh attacked the O'Connors for A's role at the Battle of Down. It seemed that A's aggressive policy was turning into disaster when de Burgh arrived in North Connacht with a large host. The O'Connors appeared to have been in little position to fight, so instead they drove their most valuable asset their vast herds of cattle, to safety, while no major battle was joined. This must have been a truly remarkable scene. The herds of cattle belonging to Gaelic-Irish families, numbered in their thousands, indeed the dust clouds alone, must have been visible for miles. While the Normans devastated what was left behind, A. O'Connor responded to their actions in the only way that he knew how by attacking Norman settlements in the west and south of Connacht, far from O'Connor territory, where de Burgh's army was operating. No doubt he did this, hoping to force them to retreat. The strategy seems to have worked, 
and eventually a peace was agreed between the two sides. This led to a very unusual event. To cement the agreement, A. O'Connor and the Norman Lord of Connacht, Walter de Burgh, lay in a bed together to illustrate their lack of enmity. This, however, was purely cosmetic. A., despite these acts, never changed his opinions and in 1263 he was seeking new ways to challenge the Normans as he schemed with his father-in-law, the Lord of the Isles of Scotland, to bring the Norwegian king, Hakon IV, who was in the region, to Ireland to help drive out the Normans. While this plan came to nothing, two years later, whatever little restraining influence his father Phelim had over A came to an end when he died in 1265. A now became king in his own right, and unsurprisingly, he was inaugurated in accordance with Gaelic traditions, unlike his father, a carn free in Roscommon. Through the mid and late 1260s, A began to attack the Norman settlements in the west, and, slowly but surely, he forged the O'Connors into a major power in the north of Connacht. It seemed that his policy of aggressively confronting the Normans was finally paying off. It should be said though that this did occur while the Normans were unable to respond as a major conflict broke out between the de Burgh and Fitzgerald families. Finally, by 1268, they were gearing up to deal with A. He was summoned to the castle of Athlone, the major royal fortification in the region. However, A reacted in a somewhat predictable style, arriving at the head of a large army at Athlone and attacking the Normans there. It was increasingly obvious Connacht was not going to be big enough for both A. O'Connor and the Norman settlers. Through 1269, the settlers began to turn the screw by building a major fortification at Roscommon in the middle of O'Connor territory. Meanwhile, at Sligo to the north, the Norman Fitzgerald family built Sligo Castle. Slowly but surely, the O'Connors were being hemmed in. Now according to the Annals of Ulster, A was sick through most of 1269, so was unable to mount resistance. However, it was clear, at some point, there would be a major conflict. And 1270 was that year. The Lord of Connacht, Walter de Burgh, mobilised what forces he had, as did Richard of Exeter, the deputy just this year. The intention was to bring A to heel, by force or possibly through the fear a huge army could impose over an enemy. But as we saw at the outset, A. O'Connor was not to be moved this time. In 1270, unlike previous occasions, the O'Connors would now stand and fight. When de Burgh and Exeter assembled their army, their first objective was to find A. O'Connor and his army. This saw them cross the Shannon and head to the newly built castle of Roscommon. The following day they moved north to Elfin before returning back south again to a spot called Port Nahinch on the River Shannon. Over these three days the Norman army had marched somewhere in the region of about 50 miles which was a significant amount of territory to cover given they were marching with equipment over difficult terrain. Now by the time they made their camp on the third day at Port Nahinch on the Upper Shannon, they seemed to have located A. O'Connor's army, which was now encamped much further to the north in modern County Leitrim 
near the Connacht border with Ulster. The Normans now took a risky decision when they decided to split their forces in two. De Burgh was to move north over the Shannon in pursuit of O'Connor into Leitrim, while Exeter would remain at Port Nahinch. While dividing their forces might seem like a dangerous strategy, they may have wanted to leave open the possibility of trying to trap A. O'Connor between their armies if it did come to war. It also left an army to defend a Norman colony in South Connacht if needed. So it was that de Burgh left Exeter's army and moved north before arriving at the River Shannon which he began to cross. This was where an army was at its weakest as they crossed the river and unsurprisingly a small force of A. O'Connor's troops drew first blood killing several Normans but it does seem to have been a minor loss and de Burgh pushed on reaching Leitrim that night. The journey was more than 30 miles so no doubt when they made camp the army had earned their rest. However, now they had to be on their guard as they were close to A. O'Connor and his army. With the two armies in close proximity negotiations were entered. However, the distrust between the two was understandably pretty big. Finding a suitable venue for negotiations was difficult. But eventually, A. O'Connor agreed to come to de Burgh's camp on the condition that the Earl's brother, William de Burgh, was handed over as a hostage along with two other Normans. However, once the hostages were handed over, something seems to have gone wrong. Although the reason is not recorded, the O'Connors quickly executed the two men who accompanied William de Burgh, the Earl's brother. Peace was now off the agenda and O'Connor now began to provoke his enemy. They constantly attacked the Norman camp through the following two nights, so the army, which had been marching for several days, could get no sleep or rest. The annals of Loch Key recalled these attacks in the following terms. O'Connor was, during these two nights, marching around them as a furious, raging, tearing lion goes about his enemies when killing them, so that he permitted them to neither eat, sleep, nor be at rest. At this point, de Burgh, who was in no position to give battle, decided to break camp and retreat. The situation was quickly turning into a disaster. The Earl's brother, William, was now in A. O'Connor's hands. Now the greatest risk for this sleep-deprived army as they moved south was when they reached the River Shannon and the ford of Ahonkip near modern-day Carrigan Shannon. As they waded across the ford, they would clearly be vulnerable to attack Predictably, no sooner were they making the crossing of the Shannon than the O'Connor vanguard, led by Thurlock O'Brien, attacked them. The Earl Walter de Burgh himself led the defence and he personally killed Thurlock O'Brien. This was something we will return to and it cost the Earl Walter dearly. In the context of the immediate battle though, O'Brien's death was not pointless because the main O'Connor force now caught up with the Normans at Ahonkip. The sleep-depraved, worn-out army did not stand a chance. The O'Connor force rained down on them and the defeat was catastrophic. According to the Gaelic-Irish annals, the Normans suffered huge losses with 100 horses, saddles and mail coverings being recovered afterwards. While Walter de Burgh himself escaped, his brother would answer for his actions. In the aftermath of the battle, William de Burgh's life was judged to be the price to be paid 
for the Earl's killing of Turlock O'Brien at the Ford of Ahonkip and he was executed. The victory for A. O'Connor at Ahonkip was total. In the aftermath, the Norman colony in North Connacht was defenceless. The castle of Roscommon, a major symbol of Norman power, was pulled down and afterwards several towns were attacked and destroyed, most significantly Athlone. Indeed, in this attack on Athlone, the bridge over the River Shannon, the key crossing point into the west of Ireland, was also destroyed. Although it had taken him two decades, A. O'Connor's strategy of a highly confrontational approach to the Anglo-Norman settlers had finally paid off and proven itself far more effective than the strategy of appeasement of his father. While the de Burgh family would resurge again in the 1290s under Richard de Burgh, Walter's son, the balance of power between the O'Connors and the Norman settlers in the west of Ireland led by the de Burgh family were changed forever. This was not lost on the people of the time. In 1274, A. O'Connor died and his controversial life was recorded as follows. A king who wasted and desolated Connacht in fighting the foreigners and the gales. A king who inflicted great defeats on the foreigners and pulled down their palaces and castles. A king who took hostages. The destroyer and healer of Ireland was he, the king most dreaded and triumphant of all kings in Ireland in his day. As the poet says, for nine years did this A. Ongoc defend the family of Tara. Interestingly, the reference to A. Ongoc at the end of the eulogy is about a messianic, paganesque prophecy which predicted a hero would reputedly rise and drive the Normans from Ireland. This eulogy clearly indicates that A. O'Connor was seen as one of the great kings of his day and indeed his impact would be remembered for decades. Before I finish, don't forget, if you have any suggestions, topics or ideas for podcasts, contact me at Irish History on Twitter or Irish History Podcast on Facebook. Until next time, Slán. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.